Welcome to Discipleship Under the Crown. My name is Al James and this is a podcast for YouthWorks in Sydney. And today we're going to be doing things a little bit differently. Uh, in just a moment, we're going to be uh, sharing a conversation that three of us who are on the Committee for House Conference, which is a conference focused on the theology of youth and children's ministry, a conversation that we had together that was talking about just giving a little bit of a sneak peek into two theological papers that will be presented at house this year so i'm going to hand over to that conversation now uh, and i really hope you find it helpful uh, and so enjoy Welcome to this special preview conversation on the Papers for House Conference 2021. I'm Mike Dicker, the Dean of Students at YouthWorks College, and I'm joined today in conversation with Al James from YouthWorks Ministry Support and Training and Emma Collett from Church Hill in Sydney. I think it's probably worth also mentioning that you used to work for YouthWorks Ministry Support and Training. Should we mention that? I did before Al came, though. So. <laughs> yeah, so back, back in the old days, the good old days. Two years ago. She's an insider. <laughs> yeah. Well, welcome to you both for this conversation. Thank you. It's good to be here. Thanks. Now, uh, we've all read the papers uh, for House Conference this year, which, of course, uh, every delegate coming to the conference will also have done by the Absolutely. time the conference yep. rolls around. Yeah, that's it's expected. Uh, and the papers for House Conference this year are on the theme of liberty and identity and particularly uh, discipling children and young people in, uh, to have their identity and their freedom found in Christ. So uh, with the two papers, we've got one from Lionel Windsor and one from Andrew Arrington. Perhaps, Emma, you can give us an overview of Lionel Windsor's paper and just your general broad thoughts about that. Yeah, sure. Um, so I... I uh really enjoyed reading uh, Lionel's paper. It's titled, Who Am I? And he addresses the issues of identity and freedom and provides a true picture of identity and freedom that comes from God's word and is found in Christ. Uh, and he looks at identity and freedom in Paul's letter to the Romans. Um, yeah, first eight chapters, right? First eight chapters, yeah. that's right. And he said he'd like to write another paper, perhaps for the final chapters. Yeah, so you can just hit him, <laughs> hit him up that's for that right. house. <laughs> I, yeah, I'd love to, love to read Ask that. Ask for part two. <laughs> but the question that he's really seeking to answer in this paper is, who am I? Um, but more importantly, who am I in Christ then, as, as you see it from Romans? So he covers uh, four main themes, which are really just the gospel and actually re- in a really nice format, I think. So he starts by talking about how we're created by God for his purposes and we're righteous because of that. But then secondly, he goes on to talk about the wrongness that is deep within us, that sin is, affects everyone and affects everything that we think and do and say. But he goes on then to talk about the justification that comes through faith in Jesus and then finally finishes by uh, landing in talking about what it means to be alive in Christ and ruled by the Spirit and freed from sin, and that's who we are made to be. Um, So I think it's a really helpful paper because it provides a framework as well as resources, and he says this all the way throughout the paper, um, that will help me personally um, as I wrestle with these ideas and thinking about who I am but also as I think about uh, children's and youth ministry and how, how I help young people to find their identity in who Jesus is uh, and what he's done. Yeah, did you find it uh, an easy or a challenging read? Did you, you know, were you able to kind of just kind of cruise your way through it or was it a bit of more of a, an 
efforts? So I'm going to give you... <laughs> I found it really engaging. Yeah. Um, so he asks questions and he keeps grounding it in the world of children's and youth ministry and I think that's really great. Yeah. But I actually found it quite unnerving as well and felt really felt the weight, especially when it gets to talking about sin and, and he uses the term wrongness. Mm. Um, but I just felt really weighed down by that and weighed down by how countercultural this approach is, the, the biblical approach to identity is to what the world is saying. Yeah. And so that, that overwhelms me more uh, than... I think this topic particularly, right, because we're talking about the very nature of yourself, your identity, uh, you know, which bound up with your freedom and what you perceive your freedom to be, I think that always, like it always hits home pretty hard because it, it's challenging who you think you are as much as the people that you're trying to... Oh, absolutely. And and I think I've said this before for those who have been on house. I'm sorry I'm banging on a drum, getting on my soapbox. But unless I think about this and have a clear understanding and an answer for who I am in Jesus, um, then uh, because that directly impacts the way that I teach children and young people and to speak to parents about how they raise their kids and how they talk to them about these things. So I've got to do the hard work. It's yeah. messy. You can't, you can't just stumble through this, can you? No. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm hoping that overview is enough just to wet everyone's appetite. So I think they might want to pause now and go and read the paper if they've got it. Yeah. That's my reflection anyway. Yes. Yeah, well, good. Yeah, it was a good one. Um, Al, do you want to tell us a little bit about Andrew Arrington's paper and your kind of broad thoughts of that? So we'll start wide and we'll eventually get down to the, the nitty-gritty. Yeah, sure. So um, Andrew has written a, a paper called The Joyful Work of Being Free and he sort of, I guess he focuses in on the, the freedom side of things um, as much as anything obviously intersects a lot with um, the identity stuff as well. Um, and I guess um, some things that kind of emerge from the paper would be uh, just the idea that freedom from things, even though it's it's good to be free from constraints, um, it's ultimately unsatisfying to be free from things, though we actually uh, need to be free for things as well. And so he... Um, uh, he begins by kind of talking a little bit about um, John Stuart Mill, um, who has this this idea of of what the purpose, I guess, the purpose of uh, of living or of power or influence is. And he says the only purpose for which power can be rightfully exercised over any member of civilized community against his will is to prevent harm to others. So just this idea that what freedom is, is is just taking away the constraints. Um, and the only time you're ever going to get in the way of freedom is um, if that freedom is impinging on the kind of the the well-being of others. And that resonates, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's... Well, it's part of that. That's part of the thing. You know, do whatever makes you happy, right? Yeah. As long as it's not hurting anyone else, then do whatever makes you happy. That's, that's free. Yeah, yeah, and so and so uh, uh, Andrew um, kind of I guess goes on to critique that idea um, and suggest that um, it, well, you know behind all of that is this idea that freedom is just it's self determination. It's it's um, the capacity to make our own choices, to live out our own desires, um, and that is really very much what our world thinks that freedom is. Um, but I guess yeah, Andrew goes on to kind of. Um, critique that and he, he says that actually freedom um, uh, freedom of choice which is what we're talking about here is actually a kind of slavery because you're slave to your own desires which you know dovetailing with Lionel Windsor's paper and also um, Andrew makes the same point um, you know if, if it's true that we are sort of imbued with sin 
if it's true that there's a wrongness about us, well, in actual fact, um, if if we are bound to our own choices, but maybe they're flawed, well, that's a kind of slavery involved in that. And so he he kind of talks about this with a great illustration, the idea of a chessboard. Um, you know, uh, like the, the bishop can only uh, move diagonally, and and the the knight can only go one one space forward and two over, or two up, and and there's all these constraints. Um, now, if you were to get rid of all those those rules, well, you'd be free, but you wouldn't be free to play chess. Yeah. Um, and so, actually, um, and I think the point that Andrew makes really helpfully is that. Um, when there is some kind of authoritative external um, guidance for that freedom, it actually it actually means that you're you're able to live the way that you're meant to be. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a much more sophisticated analogy than what I, I usually turn to some kind of football kind of game. I feel like mm. chess is far more highbrow. <laughs> sophisticated. Like chess with a two-year-old. <laughs> yeah, <doesn't it? laughs> that's right. And no, I mean, I, I remember playing a game actually with with friends as a kid where. Uh, had it, it was in a friend's backyard and it was his soccer ball, right? And then halfway through the game when we were winning, he just decided that the goals were the opposite, if you know what I mean? So he just had to turn around and run and kick a goal. And he's like, yeah, it's a goal. And I, I still remember that even at this kind of age, how incensed I was. Like, you just can't change the rules. He like literally that. moved like, the goalposts. <laughs> he literally did move the goalposts. And it has so it always stuck in my mind about how... There's a, that's a slavery, right? You yeah. can't you can't live in the world where people keep moving the goalposts like mm-hmm. that. And I guess that's the, that's the chess idea, right? We all need yeah. boundaries to move freely within. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. And how did you kind of find you know reading the paper? You know, generally was it a, a challenging read for you? Or yeah, I, I would say it was a challenging read, but um, but really worthwhile. Um, and I mean, you talked about the kind of chess illustration. I guess there's a sort of there's a deep scholarship to this at one level. Um, but some of the ideas just really ring true. Um, yeah, so, so um, yeah. Yeah, well, good. And, and, you know, we want people to kind of, again, pause now if you've got your, your uh, paper to stop and read. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's kind of whet your appetite enough for that. But let's, let's dig down a little bit into the details of some of the, the papers with the, with the few minutes we have left. And uh, maybe we'll, we'll discuss Lionel's paper first. That'll be the, the first paper presented at the conference on the Monday. Uh, and so I want to ask each of you, you know, what stood out to you from the paper? Um, you know, what things did you end up kind of highlighting as you went through and, and underlining? Yeah. Emma, perhaps do you want to keep this off? <laughs> you go, you've got something. No, sorry, sorry, yeah, you were about to jump in. Right, right. Oh, I mean, you know, the, the opening to it, the introduction where where Lionel uses the, the words of a Lady Gaga, so the theology <laughs> of Lady Gaga, um, and, you know, um, the, those lyrics say something like, you know, uh, God made made you perfect, babe, I'm beautiful in, in my way. Because God makes no mistakes, I'm on the right track, baby. I was born this way, and this idea that actually we've been born in um, in such a way that there is no need for us to change, yeah. um, which I mean that resonates with what I feel like our world is um, is where our world is at the moment. Yeah. Um, this idea that no, I am I'm good just as I as I am, and I, I don't need to change. Um, he goes on to kind of talk about, well, actually, maybe there's some room for kind of growth and if there's wrongness and so on. So that really stood out to me. The, the Gaga quote, I think, is, like, incredibly ironic, don't you think? Because she constantly changes her look. Yeah. Right? Yeah, she's, yeah. She's always, like, in a state of flux, but it's like, I don't need to change. So I'm born this way. You're born as a creature who changes a lot. Uh, and that, that's okay, I guess, you know. But, again, trying to find your authentic self is as your, your born nature, right? 
it's a difficult kind of enterprise. I mm. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, funnily enough, the conclusion, if you want a, che- a bit of a cheat sheet... <laughs> Do it. I think the conclusion's really helpful because it just gives a summary of what the points of his paper are, which is a, a wonderful, succinct summary of the Gospel. Um, but I thought, I just love how he starts with being created by God um, and then unpacks that idea that we're created for worship, not just as a singing you know, kind of idea, but in everything that we do, we live our life in worship of God mm. uh, and we're created for righteousness. Mm. I think so often, even as I think practically about sharing the gospel um, or preaching the gospel to myself or to other people, is so quick to get to sin mm. <laughs> rather than sitting in the reality that actually it started with creation and creation comes out of God's love and his being. and his. So that for me was was great, especially when the heavy weight comes of the second section of wrongness. <laughs> and that's and that's so important because because as I was reading it, like I just kept thinking of the word external. Mm. Okay, so there is a you, you know a being created by God. Like there's an external uh, creator that uh, I guess um, governs you, has authority over you, has authority over the world. And you know if we're created for righteousness, well, this is to do with a moral framework that is actually, it revolves around an external idea of what good is, not just something that emerges from the very core of who we are. And to me, that is a huge thing. Like, it's a huge difference in, you know, does good emerge from the pit of my stomach and my desires, or is there some kind of external good that, that maybe we, we might be wanting to edge towards or be, mm. uh, be influenced by? And also, I think, like... Asking the question, who am I? And the answer being, I'm precious to God. I'm mm. made in his image. I'm, that's not denying the fact that there is sin. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I wonder if, if our young people feel that, mm. you know, whether that is a real... I wonder if our leaders, you know, mm. feel that mm. um, as they teach that. We, um, on Sunday night, we've been looking at verbs of discipleship in the Gospel of John. Yeah. And um, we're at John 10, so Jesus is the good shepherd, says I'm the good shepherd. Uh, and he says, I know my sheep and they know me. Um, and so one of the things after our, after our sermon was we just asked people for um, responses and mm. reflections and prayer. And, uh, and someone just shared that, that they found that really hard to, to stomach, to, mm. to, to believe that they were really known um, intimately mm. by God and still loved. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, so I think there's a pastoral implication as well yeah. um, for the way that we talk about that ourselves and the, the gospel we preach to ourselves mm. as well. Anyway. Mm. I, thought, I thought Lionel brought out an interesting kind of... Uh, I don't know if he tried to make it a contrast or not, but, not, but he, he speaks about how we're, we're made for relationship. Like, that's yeah. part of our worship, is re- like this relational. And I, I think I find myself gravitating more and more to talking about... Um, uh, like salvation in more relational kind of terms mm. and categories because I think uh, when we talk about it in punitive or uh, legal kind of categories, it just doesn't seem to cut through, maybe because of the world we're in and our kind of emotivism or whatever it is. But because God is Father, uh, becoming his child is very much a relational thing. And, and Lionel kind of pulls that out, but then he also kind of pushes a, a bit of a bruise on that and says, but it's it's not just about relationship. Is that It's also about wrongness and rightness that there's a there is a a way to behave in this relationship and i I mean i i think i'd probably push back a little bit that he says you know if it's just about your relationship with god you've got very little way to move in rebuking people or repentance 
But I, I would say, I guess, that the relationship you have with God is underpinned by a certain way of responding, you know, a way of living, like a righteousness. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can't say, I'm in a, a good relationship with God, but not living in a right relationship with God, you know, mm-hmm. I think. I've got a question, Mike. Am I yeah. allowed to ask a question? Uh, yeah. Yeah, go. Well, I don't know if I can answer it. But, yeah. yeah, well, I mean, let's just put it out there. Yeah. Um, he, uh, Lionel says on one, uh, one of the pages, sometimes out of our pastoral motivation, like thinking about the sort of wrongness idea, mm. sometimes out of our pastoral motivation, we might affirm that it's not wrong to feel a certain desire. Mm. It's only wrong when we act on it. Uh, he, go, he, he says a little bit later, you know, we need to admit that even our desires are caught up in our wrongness, not in the same way as our actions, nor at the same level of guilt inducement, but still in a real way. That is why even wrong desires need to be identified as part of the wrongness we're all caught up in. So I guess my question is, like, how do you describe that? I mean, what words would you use for something that is not guilt-inducing? You know, is it sin? Is it weakness? Is it fallenness? Like, where does it sort of fit? Now, I'm not, I'm not yeah. asking for an answer. No, but... Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's a really good question. So my, my head all, all, like, immediately kind of goes to... Um, Matthew's Gospel and the Sermon on the Mount where the lust of your heart or the, the hatefulness you, mm. is basically the same as committing the sin of murder or adultery. Yeah. Uh, but then, of course, uh, I then flip straight to Hebrews yeah. where Jesus is tempted in every way. Totally. As we are. Yeah. So I, I know some of my temptations. Were, yeah. Was Jesus tempted that same way yeah. but he did not sin? And so th- there's got to be at some level uh, where you recognise perhaps the, the wrongness of your desires but then, of course... Have to have the restraint like Jesus to not act on those desires, mm-hmm. um, but then uh, because he's Jesus as well, and, and he's the perfect human with his heart following after God's own heart. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how did Jesus train his heart to always to desire yeah. what the Father desires, right? Yeah, and that's what the Spirit does. And it, it, your question is a good one too, Al, because it makes me realise that as I've read this, I have automatically gone, "Oh, wrongness is sin." Mm-hmm. But in the next couple of weeks, as I reflect. I will rethink about I think that's too simplistic. Maybe we should ask Lionel. Yeah, yeah, that's right. (laughs) We'll give him a heads up. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you listening, Lionel? Good fight. Did you like that? I was too simplistic. (laughs) Oh, nice one. Very good. I'm going to edit that out. I know. Leave it in, leave it in. Um, uh, I was just wondering whether or not uh, there were other questions or challenges that arose for you in this uh, paper and uh, and then really how do you see this kind of being relevant to, to children's and youth ministry? I mean, it's still on the wrongness stuff <laughs> um, side of things. Um, teaching and modelling these truths, he talks about in 2.4. And um, so as a leader, I mean, first and foremost, I said before, you know, we need to be wrestling with this ourselves personally. But as a leader, just thinking about what does that look like um, to um, be vulnerable and honest with those children and young people that we're teaching um, with, with our own wrestling with wrongness and um, while still and, and Lionel helpfully says this you know make, making sure that we're being appropriate and remembering safe ministry and all those things but I think that's a really um, I think that's a really that's something that I'm reflecting on and yeah, thinking about it's a big challenge, isn't it? uh, for me just thinking about um, how it lands in children's and youth ministry um, uh, if we're justified through faith in Jesus Christ which is uh, three point or no, 0.4 um, in the paper, mm. then we're free from guilt. Um, and, uh, yeah, I thought it was a really helpful thing for, for Lionel to raise the idea that, um, you know, if we're teaching um, the Bible, teaching the gospel, um, 
in, in, I guess, in an authentic way um, that's true to the flavour of the gospel itself, well, then the result of our ministry is going to be to remove guilt rather than to increase it. So he says, if we find that our ministry results in increased feelings of guilt, something's gone seriously wrong and we need to ask why. And so, you know, we need to teach sin, but we also always need to teach sin alongside the idea of forgiveness in a way that enables young people to both really get the pervasiveness of sin and wrongness and yet really get the forgiveness that comes with the gospel. I think that's a real challenge. Mm. Yeah. Well, I think he, I think Lionel really captures well the idea that we're you know, a whole being, so that we're mm. both fleshly and spiritual and yep. the two are not opposed to each other and we're not trying to be spiritual and not fleshly even yeah. though our flesh... Uh, comes with all kinds of sinful desires. I mean, Paul calls it a body of death. You know, mm. who will rescue me from this body of death? And one of the reasons why I think people, and especially young people, I think really gravitate, I, I certainly do as a teenager, gravitate, gravitate to um, Romans 7 is because of the way that Paul describes that struggle there. Mm. I, you know, whichever oh, view you want to take yeah. on that, whether it's um, pre-Christian Paul or, or Christian Paul or however, the, the fact of the matter is what he describes there is so common to my experience of being mm. a, a Christian that um, I, I know I'm freed uh, from being a slave to sin so I can choose righteousness. I know I, I'm a child of the Father through the Spirit. I know all these things and yet uh, I wrestle yeah. daily right, mm. with, the, with the desires and then even with the, the things outside me that shape my heart. Mm. And when I think about ministry to children and young people, it's, it's partly helping them to understand that as well. But I don't want to go so far and say that once you become a Christian, no more struggles, you know, and uh, you can just keep choosing righteousness every Every single time. I also want to acknowledge that um, the flesh that you live in also leads you astray, mm. but you don't have to go that way. You know what I mean? You, you have been freed to choose um, righteousness instead mm. of sin. And so I think there's there's something in that for how we kind of help our young people mm. maybe have a more realistic expectation of the Christian life. So mm. that uh, when you ask a young person, you know, how are you going as a Christian? I, often I would hear Christians in my youth group say things like, Oh uh, yeah, I'm like I'm Christian, but I'm just not a very good one. Like I'm not going. Very, why, why aren't you going very well? Ah, oh, I'm really struggling with swearing at school, and you know, there's certain things happening and desires, or whatever. And I want to say well, that's exactly that you're doing. You're doing great then because you're wrestling, right? You're struggling with those things because non-Christians don't struggle with them. They just give in and go and just embrace them as their authentic self. Mm. You know? And there's uh, no guilt because mm. I'm just doing what I do. You know? mm. But a Christian person struggles and then feels like maybe they're doing terribly when really. That's, that's the yep. goal. That's the thing. That's it. That's the game. Mm. I've been thinking about this um, just with my children's minister hat on, um, which I have to has been, you know, gathering dust on the shelf. But, um, but thinking um, this is the the question of who am I is being asked at a younger and younger level. I think uh, of children in our society, and um, and yet the concepts that we're talking about here are so abstract still. Mm. Uh, and this was, you know, a couple of years ago when we looked at the, the Holy Spirit, um, you know, and who he is and what he does. And same thing. It's, <laughs> it's just so abstract. So here's the frame, the word old coin is the concretizing it. I, I guess that's the question I have is what does this look like to contextualise and we're still keeping the truth, the truth of the gospel, but... Um, but how? What does that look like? How do you how do you make it concrete without making it a moralisation kind yeah, of thing? Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. And that's, I mean, that's 
even the idea of what sin is, um, so often when you ask a child what sin is, like young children, they'll go, it's doing bad things. Yeah, yeah. Like it's something outside, you know, it's kind of an action rather than a relational breakdown. Um, and so that's just one example. So I guess that's the that's where I'd like to um, ask Lionel for his thoughts yeah. at the conference. It's, but I'm hoping the responders can also... You've helped me articulate a thought that I think I've had while reading Lionel's paper, which is it's a relational breakdown first with moral consequences. Yes, absolutely. And rather than the other way around, you know, that sin is just the bad things I do. Well, no, actually, sin firstly is a descriptor of your relationship with God, as in, like, divorce might be a descriptor. Mm. Um, But it has moral consequences. It means if you're living outside of righteousness, then you're living in wrongness, as as Lionel would say. Right, I think this is actually a really good segue into Andrew Arrington's paper. I want to keep talking about Lionel's paper. No, just joking, just joking. Because he he keeps... uh, Because um, Arrington has actually kind of brought us into the idea of just thinking about freedom and what are we free from and where do we find it and what are we free to. Uh, Again, just from a different kind of aspect this way, um, so perhaps, you know, what, again, what are the, um, the things that have stood out for you? What are the bits that you went through and highlighted or wrote questions next to? Yeah, I think um, the big takeaway for me from this one, and I, I need to spend more time kind of wrestling through it after our conversation today, um, but is just so often we think of uh, freedom on the outside. Uh, I don't know. It's not something that's within you. And yet freedom in Christ is a, a transformation, a regeneration that happens from within. And you're freed from something and you're freed for God's purposes and to him and to... So that just was a... It might seem obvious. Well, no, he, I thought it was a really, light bulb moment. It was, a, yeah, it was a real powerful <laughs> point. He said, you could, so you can be a Christian slave. You mm. know, in the first century, you're a Christian slave. So by definition, you're not free. And yet Paul can say you are free in Christ. You know, for freedom, Christ has set you free. Now be an obedient slave. Yeah, that's you right. think those two things are contradictory, but they're they're not in Christ because there is a. I don't know. Would you would you say is it more of an internalization of freedom, or is it more a just you might be a slave to the culture of your day, or in the, mm. the but um, but you're free uh, eschatologically. You know, what I mean, mm. you're free kind of in the bigger picture of, of things. I only resist the idea of internalisation because I think that's kind of where our world goes to, right? Like your authentic self being the internal self. Well, no, what I'm trying to say is that it's a change that comes by the Holy Spirit. That's why I was talking about regeneration. Um, Is that it's a change that comes... It's not something I can attain by doing something or being set free, you know... Yeah. And, like, yeah, well, you might still... Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, all right? Becoming a Christian is you're, you're being set free. For freedom, Christ has set mm. you free. Um, but you're still trapped in your job. Yeah. <laughs> and you're still in the life circumstance where you are because of all the things that have gone on around you. Maybe still a slave or whatever it's going to be. But you actually do have genuine mm. and real freedom, which enables you to serve better as a slave um, or better in your workplace or better in your marriage. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember if Andrew kind of goes this direction, but th- there's a... I, I, okay, I did a leisure management degree um, as my undergraduate degree <laughs> way back in the Sorry. day. Well, and how do hey, you, don't laugh. How do you manage your leisure? <laughs> oh, look, there's so much of it these days. Um, uh, you're not the first person to, to, uh, to go that way either. Yeah. So, um, but I learnt a word, and I have no idea what it has to do with leisure. It's the word facticity. I don't know if you've heard that, but it's the stuff that you... It's the stuff that you can't change about yourself, right? Like, so you, oh. you can't change your height. You can't change your 
age and so on. And I can't remember where I'm going with this now. Um, <laughs> Keep going. Well, now you're trapped in your facticity, is that right? Well, there, there's a re- yeah, like there's a there is a reality to um, to like the the kind of there's things you can't change about yourself. So if you're if you're you know five foot two, you're probably not going to be able to dunk. Yeah. You know, like, well, maybe, maybe more like four foot yeah, yeah, eight. Yeah. I don't know what the heights are, but but there's, you know, there's stuff that you can't change about yourself. And um, as you were talking before, like, you know, if you are constrained, you're never going to be free from constraints. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Not like, in this physical not, world. No, yeah, it's just yeah. a, it's just, and even in the new creation, yeah, right? It's also a physical world. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you, you're never going to be freed from constraints. And so, like, Freedom, as we've constructed it in our society, is actually a misnomer, right? Like, mm. you know, um, you might be free from constraints, but but if you just strip away all the structure, then actually you're just a thing that's floating in nothingness. Well, I mean, you end up being a slave to your desires, right? Right, like a slave to your choice, which is not absolutely really freedom at all. Yeah. Um, you might have to edit that bit out. It was a bit airy fairy <laughs> for me. Worry, my bit. My I bit. I was about to sing. There is freedom within. <laughs> Oh, I there love that song. Freedom without trying to catch dirty Jennifer. Come on, we had to get in there. I've <laughs> been thinking about it. Um, I came to this paper actually because I knew it was about freedom, thinking about um, you know asking the questions: what what do kids think freedom is? You know, what when do they feel not? When do people or kids or young people not feel free? I was thinking we find ourselves in a time where probably a time in history anyway, given the pandemic when freedoms were taken away from us, mm. you know. I mean, this is the only thing. I, I don't know where to go with this, and you might yeah, yeah, yeah. as well. Yeah. But, um, but uh, certainly there's a, um, yeah, the decision-making about how you live your life was taken away, mm. and that's, I don't know where I'm going with this. Story. Totally. <laughs> so, I mean, there, there's a certain, no, she claps. We're not editing that out. Um, no, but there's a, there's a certain kind of timely pertinence. Yes. It's oh, pertinent, gosh. pertinent <laughs> right now. Like we, yeah, as you say, we've had, you know, 2020 COVID. We literally were locked in our houses. Mm-hmm. We were not free to move or assemble. You know, like talk about freedom of assembly. Like we, we couldn't go to church, all that sort of stuff. So yeah, there's a real kind of uh, there's a there's a relevance to it right now as we've just reflected on um, were we free when we were constrained in COVID lockdown and so on and so forth. Yeah, free from the disease, right? I, I, I underlined <laughs> true, right? A, a quote that he had, I think, from Hamilton, uh, which is about the freedom paradox, which is... How did I miss a Hamilton quote? Yeah, well, I don't think it's from Hamilton the musical. <laughs> oh, right, OK. <laughs> Unless that also tackles the freedom paradox. Um, he just says, in affluent societies, Hamilton uh, suggests depressingly... Freedom often means freedom just to be miserable in new and more insidious ways. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I've kind of underlined that and put a little exclamation uh, next to it because it is like another type of slavery, right? Um, he says to, to seek a proxy identity in the form of commodity or consumption, so, you know, hello, capitalism in a consumer society, is really just another type of slavery. You know, so I'm, I'm free to make my choices. Well, you know, advertising just kind of influences my choices to want their things and then when I can't have them or when I desire them or I'm a slave to them or a slave to having other people's opinions or the things that I, that I want so desperately to make me feel fulfilled as a human being, really I'm just, I might think I'm free, but really I'm a slave. And, of course, all the times where the modern world has tried to bring about slavery, we've also seen the increase 
in uh, mental health issues, depression, suicide, uh, all those types of things come along with a de- democratic, free 21st century society. And at, at that level, you have to say, have we really achieved freedom mm. at all? Mm. Um, I, I show this stat sometimes, and uh, I should probably you know, give, give a, a call out, a shout out for Lifeline for anybody listening, but um, the Australian Bureau of Statistics keeps stats on how people die and uh, they've been doing it for the last 120 years, and you can see the changes in how people die from from 120 years ago to today. You know, it used to be mostly kind of um, dying from all kinds of diseases we have antibiotics for now. But now between the ages of 14 and 45, the number one killer, you are, you are most likely to die by your own hand oh. than cancer or heart disease mm-hmm. or even... Um, uh, what do they call them? You know, like a car accident. Mm. And, and I, surely that statistic tells you something is wrong, right? Mm. With all the freedoms mm. and liberties that we enjoy in this world, you are more likely still to die by your own hand than anything mm. else. And that tells you, I think, that we haven't... Fa- like, all we've done is sold... We've traded one slavery in for a yeah. of slavery. And I, I think that kind of pops out. In here. Well, and, and he says on page 7, um, in our age we've discovered painfully that we... When we are free to go our own way, we very often choose bad ways and become enslaved by them. Yeah, and he says on page one, a purely negative freedom, um, simply not being constrained, not being limited, is always unsatisfying. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, where to from here? Mm. Um, there's a, an, another another philosopher I'm a bit of a fanboy of. He's, a, he's an atheist uh, called Alain de Botton, mm-hmm. and he wrote a book Perhaps. called... Yeah, well, he wrote no. You're thinking, no, oh, that's no. that's. Okay, okay, okay. Who's who's had De Bono? Yeah, yeah, De Bono. Alain de Botton. He does uh, he does the School of Life videos oh, and yes. stuff, and uh, he wrote Status Anxiety and mm. the Happiness of Architecture and a whole bunch of different things. But Status Anxiety particularly is him coming from a trying to be a, you know, an atheist, non-religious perspective. But what he does so well is just kind of pinpoint all the failures of atheism and mm. our modern society by saying. You know, we're enslaved to our anxiety about our status, like mm. what other people think of us and how mm. we fit in society. Um, and he just kind of nails this idea that we're really not free. Mm. And then he tries to borrow from religious ideas to help us be free, but of course in a very unsatisfying way because he's, he's not willing to commit to um, the freedom that's really friend mm. in religion or particularly Christianity under the lordship of Jesus, mm. which seems like a counterintuitive mm. contradiction. You are free when Jesus is Lord. Mm. Well, and like just following on from that, you know, Andrew Arrington makes the point that there's, um, you know, how are we set free? Well, we're set free by the authority of the word of Jesus. Um, and then following on from that, like there's, a, you know, the, the word of Jesus is truth. And so freedom comes only when we are in touch with the truth, only when, uh, only when there is a certain constraint laid upon us, the constraint of being shown the reality of the world and our life within it. And I, that really resonated with me that um, what is freedom is not just cons- uh, free, um, being free from constraint, but actually what is freedom is, is an understanding of the reality now, whether that's the reality of you know our facticity, just to bring up that word again, or, or the or the reality of um, the the grain of the universe in which we live, which is you know um, God ordained the universe to be a certain way, and when we live um, in line with that reality, in actual fact, then we're free to be not just whoever we want to be, but actually we're free to be who we were designed meant yeah, to be. Yeah, made for. Yeah. I mean, there's so many kind of profound things, I think, that, that really cross over in both these papers. Mm. One of them is that idea of the enfleshed soul. You know yeah. I mean? That yeah. you can't just separate your bodily, creaturely self 
from your desires and your from from your ideas of freedom. Which and is I, exactly I, what is like. I mean, the yeah. the separation of the physical from the psychological and the spiritual is exactly what's going on now. Like you, you, yeah. you know, and, who and are you? And technology enables us to maybe perhaps live alternate lives outside of our physical self. You know, um, online. online. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Or absolutely. you know, maybe with medical kind of intervention. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, I wrote down, I think at the end, he finishes with a whole bunch of, uh, like, um, points of application, which I think is super helpful as you think about children and and, uh, youth ministry. I mean, they're quite broad, but you... And we'll do some work at the conference to land these for us. But, I mean, living under authority... Yeah, I thought that was helpful. Yeah, if you're free in Christ, then you can actually live... And be, be the non-anxious presence. Yep. You know what I mean? Like I so I so much want to be the person in the room when everyone's losing their minds about something. I want to be the guy who's just non-anxious, confident in the Lord Jesus, and can just face face anything, just like Jesus did. You know, um, like one Peter describes him as he goes to the cross. Um, everyone throws you know throws insults at him, mocks him, but he just doesn't revile. You know, he just kind of goes with it with confidence. I'm like, oh. Lord, make me like that. Uh, but then he talks about what it would be like to live in uh, community, you know what I mean, mm. to ha- how we might do that, how we might model and teach social skills or um, use activities in our groups that help broaden social circles rather than kind of shrink them. We can do things like mixed ages and uh, interests and opportunities for hard service so that we, we understand being free for the other. I mean, there, there's lots of different kind of points I just wrote down here that we can kind of enact as we, we think about freedom and how profoundly free we are when we deny ourselves, lose our life, so we can have life in Christ. Um, that's our time, and uh, hopefully this has been enough to kind of whet people's appetites to, to think about the papers and start actually kind of working out what it might look like in your own kind of ministry, uh, not just what you'll teach, but also and you know what you'll believe, but certainly what you'll do in your, your practice as well. So thanks for your time, Emma. Thanks, Al. Yeah. Thanks, Mike. Go in peace, love and serve the Lord. In the name of Christ. Oh yeah. (laughs) So Anglican right now.